0: as our our other campuses and venues join us right now for our time in the Word, uh, you need to make a comment. You know, you guys just loved that uh, choir number we just did, and last uh, congregation did too at 9 o'clock. And it just reminds me of uh, how wonderful our church is doing in the area of music right now. And what I mean by that, yeah, I guess you can clap for that if you want. (laughs) because it, it really affects the chapel and the venue and cactus campus as well you know when i came here 10 years ago uh we had one size fits all we had one style of music and uh and then we, had, we did have a sunday night thing but mainly it was one style for everybody and and i quickly discerned that with one style there was uh, just enough to tick off everyone in one service and uh it, it really was and we were like battling these worship wars and Part of the decision we made a few years back and then with compelled by grace was to to not fight about music around here What, what a silly thing to fight about and that we offer you know divergent styles for where you might happen to be so i had somebody this week say Hey, thank you for the chapel because it's a uniquely traditional service and it really meets a need for for some of our people. And then, you know, the venue across our campus here uh, is, is very unique as well. It, it's, it's completely modern, contemporary worship. Cactus is more contemporary and then Saturday night is. And so and then the worship center here is what we call blended. And so it's contemporary stuff, but done many times to a choir in an orchestra and and y'all seem to like that and so that's important for us and and then what we do is we gather together as one congregation now via video for uh, our teaching in the word and so we're bound together by the word and then we have more divergent worship styles but that creates a unity for our church that I, I think is felt by most of us here. And so continue to pray for us in that. I, I get pushback almost every week, you know, on that, you know, why can't we go back to one style? And I go, well, cause we didn't do very well with that. And so, uh, we, we do this and, and then I get an email maybe an hour later of somebody saying, thank you. For providing you know the worship venue i have and it it makes me feel like yeah this is what god has for us now not every church has to do that by any stretch of the imagination there's more than one way to skin the cat but but this is our way and god seems to be blessing it now my favorite time obviously is our time in the word and uh and and i think you're going to be encouraged today as we cap off this series on fear by talking about fear of the future so what do i always do before we open his book pray why don't you guys bow with me father um i can't imagine uh, even pretending to talk about you and your truth without first bowing my head and asking for your blessing upon this time and lord you know my heart i regularly breathe a prayer to you that says lord may be may this be your word to your people That lord this is not uh, jamie's thoughts on the future or uh, what jamie studied in a new york times bestseller book this week but this is a a hopefully a cogent reasonable passionate exegesis of your word that we all rally around and then leave here in 40 minutes committed god to doing our best to to live this out so that's our prayer this be your word to your people may your holy spirit Uh, inhabit the discussion we're about to have right now and have your way with us we pray in Jesus name and we all say together amen Amen. so I, I don't know about you but I always marvel at people who seem to think they can predict the future do you have anybody like that in your life I have people who tell me where the stock market is going, they tell me where the housing market is going, they, they, they even tell me when they think Jesus is going to come back, or they tell me, you know, what direction politics is going to go in. And I smile, at least inwardly, whenever anybody does this, because I think, I, I don't know what you're smoking, but you can't predict the future. and and don't get me wrong i mean i think there are some people who have a fairly good intuitive sense of certain markets and patterns in society and so they make educated guesses and sometimes they're pretty good educated guesses but let's just all get on the same page this is a far cry from being able to actually predict the future at least with any certainty You see, the future is defined by Webster's Dictionary as time, yet not not yet come, time not yet come. So the future is all about something out there that hasn't happened yet, and it's dependent upon very fallen human beings who are unpredictable in their choices. And so because of that, there's only one person who could ever predict the future with any certainty, that's God, because he exists outside of time. He sees all time as a pinpoint, let that one sink in, as only God can predict the future. The rest of us who are mired in time really have no idea what's going to happen on the horizon. If you don't believe me, just uh, engage in this little exercise with me right now. If we could know for certainty the future and and not just give a predictable guess at it, but know for certainty what's going to happen, we'd all be rich beyond our wildest dreams. Amen? Because you would know what the stock market is going to do. Or how about this one? Bitcoin years ago. For those of you who don't know what Bitcoin is, it's a cryptocurrency that initially began trading at five cents a coin, and now it's up around $11,000 per Bitcoin. No one saw that coming. And the vast majority of people would have been rich if they invested in, well, all of them would be, if they invested in Bitcoin. But you didn't know. None of us do. If we knew the future, we would have almost a zero percent divorce rate. Did you know that? Because you'd be sitting at the altar and you would know whether this thing was going to work out or not. And you'd be able to make an intelligent decision. If, if, If you knew the future, your kids would never go off the deep end. They would never rebel. They'd never do their own thing because you would head them off at the pass knowing what was going to happen in the future. You wouldn't eat foods that you would know cause diseases. You wouldn't take jobs that would make you miserable. You wouldn't spend money this week on that big toy knowing that the furnace is going to go out next month. But the reality is we don't know the future. Why? Because the future is in the future. And just the way that we live our lives tells us that this is so. Now, the reason that this is so important is because while the future is always unknown our deepest fears do concern things in the future psychologists would tell us that the things that we fear the most now watch this are things that we do not know in other words things we are ignorant of and things that we cannot control I mean search your soul The things that you worry about the most, that you fear the most, are things that you don't know exactly what's going to happen on the horizon, say with your kids or your money or your very lives, and, and, and hence you can't fully control those things. And we all know this because we've been terrified at times about what's going to happen in the future only to not have it be as bad as we thought. Anybody here ever experienced that? And that tells us that our fear of the unknown is actually stronger than experiencing the unknown. But we all know that about our souls and our psyche. And so we tend to be most fearful about the things in the future. And I'm going to let you off the hook for just a second here right now and let you know that I think the fear of the future is actually one of the most rational fears we could have. Most of the fears that we have are irrational. Let's be honest about that. I have a a fear of heights. If I stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon with that four foot railing there and I hold onto that railing and I look over the edge, I feel like Jimmy Stewart in that movie Vertigo. Things start to spin. I literally get weak in my knees. I feel dizzy and off center just from looking over the edge of the Grand Canyon. But the chances of me falling over that four foot railing are not very strong i have never fell from a big height in other words it's not rational that i would necessarily feel that way i just do and i've tried for years to not fear heights but i can't seem to get over that in my life some of you have your own fears spiders snakes enclosed closed places the darkness And yet the reality is you've probably never been mugged by a snake. You've never been, you know, crushed in an enclosed place. You've never had somebody, you know, maybe get you in the dark. Maybe you have, but most of you haven't. And so we fear things that are quite frankly irrational. But here's the confounded nature of the future. Fearing the future is not irrational because we know people who have lost their jobs. We know people who have gotten terrible diseases. We know people who have gone bankrupt, who have lost loved ones in the prime of their lives. We know people whose marriages have failed, who have been killed in car accidents, who have gone through bankruptcy through stock markets going down. And we know that terrorism happens on American soil. And so the things that we do fear about the future, let's just be honest here in the house of God, they could happen to us. They're not irrational to fear those things. Here's the thing. It's just that God says, whether it's a rational fear or an irrational fear, over and over again in the book, he says, do not, say the word with me, fear. Do not fear, do not fear, do not be afraid. Whether it's a rational fear or an irrational fear, and especially with the fear of the future, he says, do not fear the future. And some of you are saying, why? I've spent a lot of time over the years studying the Bible, and as I've looked close in the Bible, there are at least four key things the bible tells us fearing the future will accomplish in your life negatively and hence why we should learn to relax a bit and begin trusting god for our future so let me share those four things with you right now these are negative but they're going to be life-giving to you this is what i call what fearing the future does to us and here's the first one it creates undue worry in our lives it creates undue worry in our lives In other words, think about this with me, gang. When you and I are fearing the future, we are obsessing about future potentialities, right? We're looking on the horizon and we're saying, what if this, what if that, what if this? And before you know it, with this obsessing of all these future negative potentialities, we are in absolute worry mode. And here's what we know about worry. It does no good for our emotional, spiritual, and relational lives. Jesus knew this. It's one of the core things about his teaching. Look at Matthew six. He says this very candidly. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice two things he's saying here. This is really important for you and I. He says, first, don't worry about the future because there's a lot more important things in life that are in the present, in the now, that God wants you to focus on. More important things than you worrying about all these you know, tangible security issues in your life. But, but then he says even more to the point that worry isn't going to change the future. It's not going to change anything about what might or might not happen in your life. In other words, worry doesn't help people at all. And if anything, it just reveals to us, to an onlooking world, how much we really don't trust God with the future. You know, I remember back in uh, the late 1990s when I was pastoring in Detroit, I witnessed an entire church cave into worry and cave into the fear of the future. Some of you remember what the issue was. Back in the late 1990s, there was something that was going to happen to all of our computers and microwaves and uh, alarm clocks. They called it Y2K. Yeah, some of the younger people might need to Google this, but for the rest of us, we we lived through it. And culture watchers told us that when the, you know, turned over from 1999 to 2000, that all of our technology, even the technology that runs utilities and water and electricity and the stock market and everything, that it wasn't equipped to handle that and it was going to be mass chaos. And they were going to be you know, burning in the street and looting and the stock market was going to crash. Nobody would have electricity or gas and it would just be absolute chaos, blackouts everywhere and I know it's hard to picture, but Christians can sometimes be reactionary people. And so there were a lot of Christians that got on the Y2K bandwagon. And we had people in my church in Detroit, and this is a true story, that, that literally bought like massive generators for their house because they didn't trust the utilities. Some of them moved out into the sticks and you know, decided they were going to you know, live off grid and all this. And people were making these reactionary decisions based on a fear of what might happen this is a a true story i was a young pastor back in the 90s and um i I decided to do a sermon i was asked to preach an open topic sermon and i decided to do a sermon on y2k And I did a lot of research on it, and I relied on sources like the Gartner Group, which is a very well-respected group on, you know, culture and technology, and Steve Hewitt at that time was the uh, editor of Christian Computing Magazine, a reasonable guy, and as I researched this cultural phenomenon, the best of the best were essentially saying, this won't be as bad as people say that there will be some brownouts possibly but no blackouts no chaos nothing and that we really need to just relax a little bit and chill out. And so stupid me in my youth I decided to preach a sermon about that. And so I told this reactionary church that you know, hey, we need to trust God and allow, you know, the future to be in his hands and we all need to stop making rash decisions and you would have think that I denied the resurrection of Jesus in that sermon. <laughs> I mean, I had more people come, you're just young, you don't know what you're talking about, yada, 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 yada. And and, and sure enough, when when, when actually this whole thing came down, I had moved on. I was going into the senior pastor at that time, and I'd moved to the first church I would have in Canada. And I remember sitting in my basement uh, the New Year's Eve, 1999, going on to 2000 now was on my computer and you know how it all starts right it starts starts way over there in uh, New Zealand and Australia and you you watch the world clock tick over at midnight and so you know sure enough no no blackouts there and then it hits the the east no blackouts there and then we're now in Europe and there's no blackouts there And, and and now we're in Rhode Island and there's no blackouts there and Cleveland's okay and Chicago's okay and then eventually we hit Phoenix and no blackouts. And I remember sitting there at my desk just going, I told you so. <laughs> but I can't predict the future either. As I'm going to challenge you guys in a minute, my challenge then was not that I know what's going to happen. Now, watch this. My challenge was, why don't we just trust God? Why don't we stop? being reactionary people, caving in to undue worry and show the world that we are ones who can trust God with our future. Fearing the future creates undue worry in our lives as you're chewing on that because i can tell some of you aren't convinced yet so let's move on uh, notice with me secondly that when we uh, fear the future and this one many of you haven't seen up to this point in your life it tempts us toward materialism and self-focus it, it's really true Many people don't see this in their lives. They haven't connected the dots, watch this, between their obsession with things and with themselves and a fear of the unknown and a desire for security. But Jesus was really big on this. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 12. It says, and he, Jesus, told them this parable, the ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store this great crop. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my material goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now watch this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. So here's what many people, even many Christians have not linked together yet. Go back one slide. They have not linked together this idea of storing up material goods and focusing on yourself with, now go back, slide with this command to not fear the future with all of this worry. You see, we've known for years that it is very, very tempting for us to find our security, our livelihood, our sense of well-being in money and things. Give me a head now that y'all understand that. Even your pastor is like that. When I get afraid about the future, afraid about things, the more I can amass, the more I can store things up, somehow I feel better about that. I'm I'm preparing for what might happen in the future. And, And though that is not necessarily wrong in and of itself, here's the problem. When you're doing that, don't miss this, when you're doing that because of an obsessive, fear of the future that is not trusting in God, God says the result of that is that now you're focusing on yourself and your materialism when God wants you to focus on others and being generous. And so could it be that one of the reasons some of us are not generous, one of the reasons that some of us have just amassed more and more stuff, that we don't necessarily need and that God wants us to release to him and even to other causes. One of the reasons we've done that is we are fearful of the future. We are afraid to let go and to trust God. You see, when we fear the future, It creates undue worry in our lives. It tempts us toward materialism and self-focus. And thirdly, and all of us have experienced this one from the school of hard knocks, it breeds unwise decision-making in our lives. We all know this. I mean, everybody will affirm this. When you fear something too much you tend to get paralyzed with fear. That's where we get that phrase, paralyzed with fear. And when you're paralyzed with fear, when fear grips you by the throat, you're not in the right mind to make good decisions. James affirmed this to us in his epistle. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. In other words, make a lot of decisions about our lives. He says, You who do that and take the bull by the horns, he says, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. So he's saying that because you're ignorant of the future, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and implicit here is that that terrifies you, that fear of the unknown. You're taking the bull by the horns and making all these decisions. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go here, that city, spend money here, carry on business, da-da-da-da. And he says, these are not necessarily the decisions that God wants you to make, that you haven't consulted him first. And folks, I can't tell you how many times I've seen well-meaning, and I mean good Christian people, make, let's just call it what it is, dumb decisions that simply flow from an undue fear of the future that craves security and happiness above all else. I have seen people stand at the altar and make a decision for a life partner, a decision for marriage, not because God led them to do that, not even because they're equally yoked, because they're terrified of being alone. And in a desperation move, they say, I'm just going to get married, whether God is leading me to or not. They make an unwise decision that they eventually would regret i have seen people buy things i mean it happens a lot people buy things good christians a new car a a house they really can't afford because they they really think that's going to breed security in their souls but then the debt that it creates and the heartache it creates is more than they ever thought they made an unwise decision because they feared that if they didn't have this they, they they wouldn't be happy i've seen people choose to cut off relationships in their lives I mean, to sabotage relationships because they were afraid to go through the tunnel of chaos. They were afraid to deal with the issues before them. And it was better just to jettison this relationship than to trust God for the future in their lives. Again, all because they, they feared what was coming down the pike this will blow you away. I've even seen people make unwise decisions about who God is and what he is like. I hear it all the time. And even among Christians, they'll say, well, God is this way, or God could never do that. And I go, well, I hate to pop your bubble, but the Bible differs from what you just said. But when I share with them what the Bible says, because they don't like it, Because it scares them, because they can't fit it into some mental category that they have, they choose to believe otherwise by God. And it all stems from fear that if they take God at his word and believe what the Bible says, then they're going to be weirdos or whatever in in the eyes of other people. Again, I see things like this happen all the time. I get a front row seat tragically to people who make unwise decisions and what we need to see today gang is that many times it's all about fear and the fear of the future and God as we're going to see as a remedy for that but before we get to that notice a fourth and final catastrophic effect of living with the fear of the future and this is probably the most brutal and debilitating and I'll just let you know right now as I point one finger at all of you guys in cactus venue chapel at you I I, I got three pointing back at me because I gotta tell you I I, I caved to this one way too often my wife would yell hypocrite right now on this point and that is when we fear the future it robs us of the here and the now in other words it pulls us out of the present when we are focused on the future And here's how it works. If you're constantly living in the future, focused and worried about what might or possibly come next, it is nigh to impossible to be fully engaged in the present moment as well. Here's how I know that this happens. I'm going to pick on Dan and Marlena here in the front row. And, uh, and they've been married for a long time. And Dan, let me just ask you a lead-in question. H- has it ever happened that Marlena looks to you and says, Dan, Dan, where are you right now? You're not here right now focusing on me. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. This morning probably, right? Yeah, it, it happens quite often. There's not a man here today whose wife has not said, hey, 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 where are you? I mean, you're here physically with me right now, but, but mentally you're miles away, or maybe your wife has done that too. Well, what's happening there? We're focusing either on what's in the past or are focused on what's in the future. And here's my point, when we are focused on those things, we're robbing energy from the present to focus on what's right in front of us. And here's why that's so important. God is not a God of your past. He's been in your past. But he says to lay that past behind you, forget what lies ahead. And God, as we're seeing today, is also not a God who wants you to obsess about the future. No, watch this. God is a God who is right in front of you now. And one of the reasons that many of us feel distant and far away from the Lord is because we are so focused on the future obsessing about what might or might not come that we miss God let alone our wife or our kids or our dear friends who are right in front of us now and I know what some of you are thinking you're thinking well Jamie you're wrong I can multitask See, I I can do a bunch of things at once and that's what they pay me to do at work and I'm really good at that. Okay, I'll grant you that. Here's the problem with that line of thinking. I I have a, a, a almost brand new, it's about a year old MacBook Pro that I do my sermons on. It has 16 gigabytes of RAM. I never thought that I'd have a computer like that but thank you for your giving. Keep giving, it provides a nice computer for me to do my sermons on. And, and, and this computer has a, a state-of-the-art Bible program on it called Logos. It's just a wonderful Bible program that I use to prepare my sermons, but it's a monster. It eats up a lot of RAM, and when I have that program open, and then my Word program open, and then my email program open, and then Safari or Google Chrome open doing internet research, and then I open up the PowerPoint program to start doing presentations. When I have all of that open, you know what eventually happens? The thing starts to slow down just a little bit, especially because of my Bible program. The thing is huge. And my point is, is that if it can happen to my wonderful MacBook Pro, did I mention with 16 gigabytes of RAM, (laughs) my guess is it could happen to you. And whenever you and I are focused on the future, by default, we're not focused on the here and now. And God wants us. Your spouse wants you, your kids want you, your friends want you in the here and now. Truly folks, we're gonna move on right now, but living with fear of the future as tempting as it might be to try to control life with our worry carries with it a high price tag it it breeds worry it breeds materialism and self-focus it makes allows us to make unwise decisions and it robs us of the here and now so once we get this once we get jesus's dire warnings that he and the bible gives why we should not cave into the fear of the future the only question left for us in the few minutes we have remaining is what do we do then with that fear? How do we deal with the fear of the future? How do we make peace with this unknown and potentially unfriendly time not yet come in our lives? And I want to leave you with one statement today. It's a dual thought contained in one statement. And I'm just going to warn you right now, it's going to sound incredibly trite. Some of you are going to be tempted as soon as I share this with you to to like tune out and start thinking about lunch or the Pro Bowl today or whatever. And I'm just going to say, please don't do that because here's what I want to challenge you with before I give you this very simple but profound biblical statement. And that is that though you have probably heard this before, you probably have never tied it or postured it in light of a discussion on why you shouldn't fear the future. So you ready for this? God says, don't fear the future. Rather, trust me and bank on my promises. Here's the logic behind this, guys. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible told us there's only three tools left in our tool belt. Do you remember what they are? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And we talk about love all the time around here because it's our most powerful tool in turning this crazy world around. But faith is the enemy of fear. Did you know that? In other words, you cannot trust God and have runaway fear in your heart at the same time. They can't coexist. The Bible says when you are trusting God and banking on his promises, one of the promises is fear is going to run out the back door because perfect love whom God is casts out all fear and so this idea of trusting God and banking on his promises is a lot more important than most of us might realize and here's another cool thing about this take-home point of yours and again you're not going to like this but it's true and that is that trusting God is a binary choice in other words you're either doing it or you're not It's not mysterious, it's not subjective, it's not gray. You're either trusting in God and allowing him to be the leader of your life, or you're not. And the reality is, is that once you learn to trust God and bank on his promises, you will be giving a death blow to a lot of the fears that you have about what's coming down the pike. I wanna show you what I mean you know one of the things i love about the bible is that it contains an awful lot of promises about god did you know that i, I mean it tells us for instance that if you're worried about how your kids are going to turn out let's see the one from proverbs here it, it tells us in proverbs chapter 22 6 train up a child on the way he should go and even when he's old he will not depart from it see the problem is most christians don't believe this verse but we train up a child in the way they should go and then they go off to college, and your IQ drops by 60 in the eyes of your child, and, 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 and so now you're the big dummy, and your child starts to rebel a little bit, and in their 20s, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing, and you think, all is lost. I can't believe it, the kid's gone off the deep end, you know, and there's no hope. No, uh, train up a child in the way that they should go, and even when he's old, and sometimes, by the way, it takes for him to get old, <laughs> they will not depart from it. I ran into a dear couple today, who shared with me that their kid is now coming to church, an adult child, after after decades of wandering away from God. And they're just so thrilled that, you know, he's now coming back to church. And they said, the book's not written yet, but one step at a time, he's back. And they said, we've been praying for decades that this would happen. What have they been doing? They've not been fretting the future. They've been focusing on the promises of God. Or how about this one, show 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13 here. Uh, th- this is, a, again, one of the most powerful promises in the scripture that so many Christians just kind of turn a blind eye to. It-, it says, no temptation, well, let me personalize it. There are times that I struggle with sin. I know it's hard to believe, but there is. There's times where I, I struggle, uh, just like you guys do, with sin. And uh, whenever I'm tempted by something, uh, did you know that the Bible says that I don't have to cave? That i don't have to give in in fact the bible says even more that not only do i not have to cave but in that moment god has provided everything for me to not cave if i just believe it here's where it says it so let's personalize it to jamie no temptation has overtaken jamie except what is common to the rest of his church and god is faithful he will not let jamie be tempted beyond what he can bear But when Jamie is tempted, God will also provide a way out so that he can endure it. What a promise that nothing could come my way this week, that if I, but trust God and bank on his promise could overtake me. I mean, talk about power for living, but here's the problem. Many of us just don't believe this. We go, oh, no, no. I mean, God, I've had different experiences, Jamie. (laughs) See, this is what I hate to tell you, but you're in the house of God. This is a safe place. Get ready for the truth. The only way this passage doesn't work is that if you don't trust God, if you don't lean on him. And so I hate to pop your bubble, but that's what's happening sometimes. When you fall or you fail, the problem is, is that in that moment, you're really not believing God. And I've tested him in this. There have been so many times where I'm tempted with things and I just think, oh God, no, no, I really can't. I mean, the Cheez-Its are right there, God. They're right in the cupboard. And I, and, and, and I know I don't need to eat them. I want to eat them. And I'm dead to those things. And, and, and I'm right there. Temptation is right facing me. And you know what happened in that moment? True story. There'll be times it's like midnight and that's when it always hits me, right? It's like midnight. And I'm sitting there in my bathrobe. Don't picture that. I'm sitting in my bathrobe and I'm, and I'm just looking right in front of the thing. I'm like, should I, or shouldn't I, should I, or shouldn't I? And I'll, and hear this little it's an audible voice hey Jamie what are you doing out there (laughs) and my daughter says that that, the pastors are really good at telling the truth with the intent to deceive so what I'll say when Kim asks that question I'll say I'm going to the bathroom which is true (laughs) but what she doesn't know is that I stopped by the pantry on the, the way there And and again, some of you would call it a coincidence, but isn't it ironic that when I'm most tempted, the voice of my wife was right there in my ear. (laughs) And you laugh, but I cannot tell you on a more serious level, because Cheez-Its aren't all that serious, but on a more serious level, there have been so many times where God has given me a way out. And here's the pathetic thing. Sometimes I don't take it. How about you? Sometimes. I I, I still cave, but I'm under no illusion that when I cave, it had nothing to do with God or his faithfulness. It had everything to do with me not trusting in him and believing in him. One last example that's probably the most personal to me, and it might be to you. Um, This is probably the most profound, uh, not this one, go to Matthew 6. The the most profound promise Jesus ever gave for life. Let me read it for you, because this is one of my favorites. This is a promise from God. Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow; they do not labor or spin, and yet your yet I'll tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these lilies. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little, say the word with me, faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's why this one's so important to me. I mentioned my friends, the renters that are here today, they're from my last church in Cleveland. I have served four churches in 35 some odd years. And each of the three times that I've switched churches, I've actually been going from a very good situation to a different situation. And I did it based on what I perceived was a clear call from God, but it took a tremendous amount of risk. There was no guarantee, talk about fear of the unknown, that it was gonna work out. In fact, from a human standpoint, I was leaving a good place to go to a potentially not good place, but when I left Cleveland, my church in Cleveland, Ohio, Chagrin Falls, my wife called that church the most disgustingly healthy church we'd ever been in. It was grace-based, grace-oriented. They loved me dearly and deeply. And I really thought I would be there for the rest of my days. And uh, one day Kim and I were on a vacation down south on the beach and we were just noodling or talking about the future. and. I said, I think I'll be at this church for the rest of my life. And my wife, who's always been very discerning said, I don't think so. She said, I think God is going to be moving us within the next couple of years. And I said, what's gotten into you woman? I mean, this is going to happen, you know, and I was the big doubter. And within a year, the Lord was tapping on my shoulder and through a very long, convoluted set of circumstances and a lot of prayer, he called me here. And I got to tell you, I, I was very afraid coming here. Because at that time, especially, Scottsdale Bible had gone through some really rough roads and I was an unknown. I mean, you guys hired a no-name from Cleveland to be your pastor. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't know how it was going to go. And I had to trust God. And here's where it gets really thick because Matthew 6 says, you know, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, even what city you're going to serve in for my purposes. Just trust me. I'll take care of you. But have you ever thought this way about God? And again, let's just be real men and women here. Have you ever thought, yes, God, I know you've said you're going to take care of me, but that doesn't mean that this situation will work out. That doesn't mean that Scottsdale Bible Church might not spit me up and chew me out. It does not mean that I'm going to keep my job it does not mean that my children will all you know have easy lives it does not mean that my bank account will be full any of you relate to that and it's because of that because we tend to know that God's promise to take care of us does not mean that we will be blessed in the way that we want to be blessed because we know that we tend to not to want to trust him is it just me or does anybody else relate to that i do because I know better God I know what you mean by your promise and yeah 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 your promise is real but I got a good gig going on in Cleveland I got two acres of land I'm safe they love me I got tenure as long as I wanted and you want me to go to Scottsdale You want me to go to this church that loved their pastor for 25 years and would be a really hard act to follow, in which all of the executive staff quit the moment Daryl did? You want me to go to that place? And God says, yes, I do. Trust me. I'll take care of you and i say yeah i'm not a fool god i know what taking care of me means it might means i end up at some small church in nebraska buying my time after it doesn't work out at scottsdale bible i know that god and then god gave me this verse you ready for this one because <clears throat> here's god's answer it's tucked away in the psalms psalm 84 verse 10. When the sons of Korah, we have no idea who really they were, but they were a group of Christ followers, were wrestling with the same thing. They're wrestling with the promises of God, and the promises of God not always turning out like they thought they would, but they're still the promises of God. And it's in the New Living Translation because it reads best. The sons of Korah say, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Whoa. I'd rather be an usher at Scottsdale Bible Church than having a really big house in Paradise Valley. That's what the Bible is saying here. I I would rather be where God wants me to be, a gatekeeper in his house or a small church in Nebraska serving him, smack dab in the middle of his will, trusting for him to take care of me, even if that isn't always what I think it should be, than to take the the, the bull by the horns, slap a good life bumper sticker on my car and say, aren't I living the good life in the midst of all of this wickedness? Do y'all get what God is saying here? Yeah, you're realist, you get it, (coughs) trusting him, might mean might mean that you give up on some of your secular dreams it might but then again it might not we don't know that's the point of the future you don't know what's going to happen but here's the cool thing he does and he says you got a binary choice You can either trust me with it and hang on for the ride because I'm always good for it and your soul will be satisfied. Even if you don't get all the things that you want, your soul will be satisfied in me or you can just do your own thing and still come to church and do your thing there. But inwardly, you know, you're doing your own thing, trusting in yourself, trusting in your ingenuity, trusting in this world and then living the good life, but feeling that there's something missing. Anybody ever felt that way? Feeling that there's something missing. See, here's the danger of Scottsdale. And I love this town, I do. And I'm satisfied here, but I'm satisfied in God. No offense, not in you, I'm satisfied in God. But here's the danger of Scottsdale, is it's really easy to convince your soul that you're okay because the bank account is full, the retirement's doing okay, the car seems to be working, the house is really nice and you're trusting. That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of the needle because there's such a temptation, why? For us to trust in ourselves. And in one sense, this is a very hard church to shepherd because my prayer for you guys every week in Cactus and venue and chapel, same with you guys, my prayer for all of us is that we would not be duped into trusting in all of our material stuff and in our successes. But what did the Old Testament prophets say? Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the rich man boast of his riches, or the strong man boast in his strength, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises justice and righteousness and loving kindness for all of the oppressed. See, that's the God we serve. That's the one who asks you to trust him with all of who you are, And when you do that, you might not get everything you want. You still might, you might not. I don't know, but I know this, you'll get him. And in him, there is no fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that your word is so clear. It's hard to palate sometimes, but it's clear. And your word, Lord, tells us that you are worthy to be trusted, that it is not a trite thing to say, trust God and bank on his promises. And Lord what we've bumped up against today is that though that's an easy thing to say it's a really hard thing to do god it's so tempting for us to cling to our things to cling to our successes to cling to our security and lord not to cling directly to you lewis was right when he said life is made up of first things and second things and that we're masters at placing second place things in first place so lord may we not do that today May we repent and once again put you on the throne of our lives as number one, Lord and King and savior. And may we trust in you. Lord, as we do that, may we be type of people that do not fear what's coming down the pike because we know who holds the future. And I pray this in Jesus name. And I hope we can all say together. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.